Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Cannabis edibles are still illegal in this country, but that hasn't stopped someone from pushing a product that some worry could appeal to children. Packets labeled candy were left on cars parked outside the Cannabis Expo in Vancouver last weekend. And Catherine Urquhart tried to track down whoever put them there. So this is the uh, package. It's uh, nicely presented. And when you open it up, you'll get two candies. Gummies that appear to be regular candy. But the packaging states they're microdosed candy, as in microdosed with cannabis. Richmond MLA Jazz Johal says they were left on a number of car windshields during the Lyft and Company Cannabis Expo in Vancouver last weekend. This is quite concerning because in regards to public safety, a parent sees that, they may toss it in the back of their car, throw it in their glove compartment. A child could have access to it. These are candies uh, laced with cannabis. The label states the microdosed gummies are from Earth's Edibles, but the owner says they're not his. He doesn't even sell that product. That was not us. That is our, that is our logo. Our logo is the easiest logo to copy whatsoever. I just don't know where they came from, and it wasn't me or my team. Regardless of who distributed the product, Joe Hall says it's troubling. Not enough work has been done by government officials, by elected officials to educate the public that this is not acceptable. In an email, the Ministry for Public Safety and the Solicitor General told Global News, leaving samples of cannabis edibles on a car windshield where they can be accessed by children is irresponsible and dangerous. It is currently illegal under the Federal Cannabis Act to commercially manufacture or sell cannabis edibles or to supply cannabis. In October, a toddler on Vancouver Island was hospitalized after eating cannabis-infused gummy bears and showing signs of distress. Hospitals are bracing for more incidents. You were just going to expect uh, more naive users uh, uh, using marijuana, specifically edibles, and, and uh, experiencing more adverse uh, reactions. BC doctors are urging vigilance with cannabis-infused edibles, especially ones that look like candy. People advise to treat them with the same care as prescription drugs. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Police, meanwhile, say they are not investigating this incident and that their enforcement efforts are prioritized, targeting those who manufacture and distribute opioids and other harmful drugs. RCMP are investigating a fatal shooting in Cache Creek, the body of a man found inside a home in the 1000 block of Collins Road around 7 o'clock last night. Ashcroft RCMP and the Southeast District Major Crimes Unit are now investigating. RCMP believe an interaction took place between two people known to each other. Investigators do not believe the public is at risk. The suspect in the Abbotsford school stabbing is fit to stand trial. The BC Review Board agreeing with Gabriel Klein's own lawyer, his doctor and Crown Counsel. Klein stands accused in the death of 13-year-old Letitia Reimer. And Nadia Stewart has reaction and what happens next. Have uh, Klein get back in the criminal justice system is a good thing. 
After months of psychiatric tests and questions about Gabriel Klein's mental state, the man accused of stabbing 13-year-old Letitia Reimer to death in 2016 has been deemed fit to stand trial by the BC Review Board. Through their spokesperson, Reimer's family expresses their relief. The family is not vengeful. The family is not trying to uh, ensure he's locked up and the key is thrown away. They want to see justice, whatever that might look like. Reimer was killed and another student injured in November 2016 during a violent attack in Abbotsford Senior Secondary. Klein was diagnosed with schizophrenia. From the start, there have been questions about whether he'd be fit to stand trial. Klein has spent much of his time here at the Forensic Psychiatric Hospital, where last October he began taking a new medication, clozapine. Since then, his lawyer and Teixeira say there's been a noticeable improvement. He is now able to, for most of each day, exist without voices screaming in his head and telling him, directing him to do things and interrupting his train of thought. He certainly was far more articulate today than we have heard in his trials or in in previous hearings. The panel seemed to be assessing Klein's comprehension during the Tuesday morning hearing, asking him to explain what a plea is and whether he understood what perjury meant. Klein himself also spoke about how the voices in his head had quieted down. Teixeira says Klein's situation speaks to a larger problem the need of provincial governments or all levels of government to get involved with uh, individuals who are mentally ill and suffer from mental illness and to give them treatments earlier. We shouldn't have to wait until a young girl is, uh, is murdered to uh, see uh, this sort of uh, treatment come into play. Both Teixeira and Klein's lawyer expect they'll be back in court within a matter of days or weeks. Nadia Stork, Global News. Canada has asked China for clemency in the case involving an Abbotsford man who has been sentenced to death for drug trafficking. And tonight, new information that a B.C. judge warned Robert Schellenberg about his drug dealing behavior many years before his alleged attempt in China. Yesterday, Schellenberg was sentenced to death in China after a sudden retrial of his 15-year sentence for drug smuggling. The news following increased tensions between Canada and China over the detention of Chinese businesswoman Meng Wanzhou, the CFO of technology company Huawei. Back in 2012, a B.C. judge sentenced Schellenberg to 16 months in jail for drug trafficking. At the time, the judge told Schellenberg, quote, drug trafficking is a very serious matter and not to ever underestimate the seriousness of the offense. Words that now read as a chilling warning, giving his situation in China. A Vancouver woman is warning others after her purchase of a used truck went sideways. She had the vehicle for only about a month when she found out the ownership was transferred to someone else without her knowledge. Vancouver police are now investigating. Tanya Beja has more on how it happened. It's my truck. I paid for it. But it's not my truck. It's not in my name anymore. Sandra Cherry thought she got a good deal on a 2000 Ford F-150. In early December, she spotted the ad on Craigslist and agreed to pay $1,000 cash. Cherry met the seller at a broker. He gave her one key and transferred ownership. But a month later, something on Cherry's home surveillance video caught her eye. And I thought I was dreaming when I saw the back tires of my truck look like they were no longer touching the ground. Cherry went out to investigate and found her vehicle hooked up to a tow truck. I then noticed that the driver's window was open. And I said, how did this get open? Did you go into the truck? And he held up a a key. And he said, well, this is the, the original key. 
The driver asked for Cherry's registration, but the papers were gone. So were her license plates. And he kept saying, don't worry, don't worry, we'll figure this out, don't worry. She called police, then ICBC, only to learn the truck had been transferred back to the original owner two days prior. Cherry says without her knowledge or consent. There's no way that the signature on that transfer form is mine. Why would, I didn't transfer anything, I haven't, it's, it's my truck. To transfer a vehicle, the buyer and seller must both sign a transfer tax form. The buyer can bring it to a broker along with the seller's registration certificate, but there's no legal requirement for the seller to be present. ICBC would not do an interview but issued this statement. It's rare for a buyer to have access to the registration certificate without the seller's consent. Therefore, in the majority of cases, the requirement to provide a seller's signed registration certificate and a fully signed transfer tax form helps to combat fraudulent transfers. Vancouver police seized Cherry's vehicle. Um, we are actively investigating uh, a fraud investigation, a criminal offence of fraud, in regards to her complaint. So that investigation is currently ongoing, and we're just trying to piece all, all uh, the evidence together. Cherry, a single mother, is now without a vehicle. Neither she nor Global News have been able to reach the original seller. Like, I just, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away. Tanya Beja, Global News. It's now official, former NDP MP Sven Robinson announcing his return to politics today. Robinson was an MP in Burnaby from 1979 to 2004 when it all came crashing down when he admitted to stealing a ring from an auction house. Keith Baldry has more on Robinson's political plans and what his opponents say about his declaration. And uh, I will be acclaimed as the candidate. And so one of B.C.'s best-known and controversial politicians is back. Or so Sven Robinson wants to be as the next NDP MP for Burnaby North Seymour, a riding where he grew up. Two crises, climate change and inequality. In particular, the crisis in housing affordability. Robinson was elected seven times in Burnaby, first winning in 1979. He proved to be a prominent adversary of both conservative and liberal governments, always courting controversy and media attention, such as when he was a guest on Jack Webster's old show on this station. This morning, yes or no? Are you going to give me an opportunity to answer the question? Yes, I am. Okay. What I'm suggesting is that the body house law is so... But his career ended suddenly in 2004 when he pocketed an expensive ring without pain, a move he attributed to mental health problems. Look, like millions of Canadians, I'm living with mental illness. Uh, I, I'm not going to get into the details of my medication and so on. I don't think that's appropriate, but uh, I have been very clear that uh, uh, it's really important that to help deal with that stigma and discrimination, people not be afraid to speak out. Meanwhile, the man he's trying to unseat as the current MP says he doesn't intend to make an issue of the ring. I'm not going to be commenting for the entire campaign on any of Sven's past criminal behavior. And Beach says he intends to focus on more important issues. I just left uh, having lunch with the mayor uh, to be working on a housing town hall. That's always front and center. Last night we had a a town hall in Deep Cove on environmental protection, so that'll always be up there. And, uh, of course, the economy. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on this. Uh, Keith, a lot of people will look at Sven and say he's brave to step forward and be mm -hmm. honest about his past. How big a hill is this to climb for him? Well, 
I think Sven's going to find it a little hard, more slogging than uh, the previous seven times he was elected quite easily in Burnaby. I grew up in Burnaby. He was my MP, my father's and mother's MP. Very popular in the local level. He sort of crossed party lines. A lot of conservatives and liberals voted for him. Now I think he might have a tougher go at it. Here's the numbers from the 2015 election uh, where Terry Beach uh, of the Liberals won by a considerable margin, 36.1%. The NDP second, uh, six and a half points back in the conservatives third. That was also reflective of a bit of Trudeau-mania, you may recall, in 2015. That's not so existent now, so the Liberals aren't necessarily as, as strong as they were in 2015. But the NDP also, Chris, has taken a hit nationally. Uh, they've got fundraising problems. They've got a leader that doesn't seem to resonate with the voters. So Robinson, name recognition's a big plus, but I think he's going to have a tough time of it. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks very much, Keith Baldry, for us in Victoria. Some serious concerns tonight about the new 911 protocol that went into effect last May. Critics say it resulted in longer wait times for some calls. Aaron MacArthur explains why some feel the new protocol is not what's best for patients. Firefighters in Port Coquitlam, less busy than just a few years ago. The fire calls are still there, but they are responding to fewer medical emergencies. They simply aren't being called as often. A new dispatch procedure means firefighters are never told about non-life-threatening but still serious emergencies. It's dropped our call volume by about 25 to 40 percent since, since that time last year. What's happening instead, according to the chief, is members are often getting called after the fact, as long as 20 minutes after the fact. For calls including drug overdoses, patients are suffering needlessly. Our response time averages about four minutes and 30 seconds, and the orange calls here, as an example, BC Ambulance's average is close to 14 minutes. So why you wouldn't want somebody on scene of a very serious call for 10 minutes prior to the ambulance getting there is beyond me. The BC government has spent tens of millions of dollars to improve BC Ambulance dispatch system. High priority calls are getting a much better response time, and low priority calls are being dealt with more efficiently. But it's the calls in the middle, the orange calls, where the trouble seems to lie. BC Emergency Health Services willing to work with fire departments to iron out any of their concerns. I'm meeting with the, the fire chief of Port Coquitlam this week to discuss some concerns he might have, and we'll address them, and if we need to make any changes to improve patient care, we will be making them. BC Ambulance says the public should have no concerns about calling 911. The fire chief in Port Coquitlam says he's not comfortable with the speed at which some of the needed changes are being made. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Right now, a very large reminder of December's windstorm is becoming an eyesore and a danger for some residents of Victoria. A cement-hulled sailboat washed up on shore in the community of Cadborough Bay. Kylie Stanton explains why so far it's been impervious to all efforts to move it. The keel is damaged, it's not connected, it's broken. Sinking deeper into the sand. This has to be all dug out. Now covered in graffiti. If I was the owner, I would be incredibly upset. The condition of this sailboat gets worse with every passing day. Its cement hull so heavy, it's nearly impossible to move. It's probably pretty bad for the beach, obviously. Like. Who knows if it's going to tip over, right? For kids to play on this, uh, it is a disaster. The large sailboat washed up on the shores of Cadborough Bay on the morning of December 21st, following the massive windstorm that hit the west coast. 
It wreaked havoc on vessels and structures in the waters of southern B.C. So far, 75 have been reported as drifting, sunk or beached. In a statement, the Coast Guard said vessels continue to be reported and the Coast Guard is working with owners and partners to secure vessels and structures that pose a threat to the environment, such as leaking hydrocarbons. This work is being carried out on a priority basis. We're hopeful that it's this week. In this case, the owner has come forward, so far making several attempts to remove the boat. But it's too heavy to be towed away, and because of its location, a crane can't get in to lift it out. Now the plan is to patch the damage in the ferro-cement hull, then tow the vessel with a tugboat. But there's no time frame. So I don't know exactly what that means. How long can some of these things stay on the beach? How long do we wait? For now, that's entirely up to the owner. All the community can do is hope it doesn't happen again anytime soon. It's sad. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Meantime, salvage crews are at work at the White Rock Pier. The same windstorm leaving a gaping hole in the landmark. The rebuild expected to be complete by August, and it could cost upwards of $6 million. A very lucky turn of events for a hiker in distress on the North Shore Mountains. Other hikers, including a Global News journalist, saw him in trouble and called for help. Just afternoon, hikers near the summit of Dog Mountain in Mount Seymour Park came across a 49-year-old man lying in the snow, suffering from chest pains. Luckily, Robin Crawford from Global News was one of them. So was a retired cardiac nurse who took over until Ski Patrol and the North Shore Rescue Team arrived. The man was taken to Vancouver General Hospital by helicopter. No update yet on his condition. Indigenous leaders are meeting in Calgary tomorrow to discuss a plan that could make them the next owners of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. As Global's Michael King reports, more than 100 First Nations will debate on a money model that could allow them to buy the controversial project from the feds. Well, I would say this would be one of the more complex deals that we've seen in Canadian history. Indigenous leaders met last month to discuss whether there was interest in purchasing the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and now there's a chance that the Indigenous Resource Council of Canada, or IRCC, could make an offer to buy the project. The council represents more than 130 First Nation communities, and on Wednesday, they will try and hammer out a way to buy Trans Mountain. While the IRCC says its goal is not to be pipeline owners, the potential profits could do a lot to improve life for some impoverished First Nations. Public policy analysts say if the Indigenous group does purchase the pipeline, it could be a big step forward for Trans Mountain. One of the things that you know is a benefit if it can work out is to demonstrate the alignment of many Indigenous communities with resource development. And I think that's one of the angles that the Indian Resource Council is coming from. There are many First Nations who have oil and gas resources on their land, and they want to see pipelines developed so they can get full value for their resources as well. The federal government purchased the Trans Mountain Pipeline from Kinder Morgan for $4.5 billion, but construction has been held up in courts because some First Nations on the West Coast have concerns about the environmental impacts. The IRCC hopes that if it can broker a deal, getting those communities to support the construction of Trans Mountain Pipeline will be easier. Michael King, Global News. Some North Okanagan parents lived out a real-life episode of Survivor overnight in an effort to secure French immersion spots for their kids. This was the registration lineup outside of Vernon Elementary School for early French immersion. 91 families camping out and pitching tents to register for 88 spots at the school. 
Parents say the queue seems to form earlier and earlier every year, but the school district still believes it's the best way to get students enrolled. It's reasonable. There's pretty easily understandable terms laid out. If you wanted to get in, you needed to be here. I'd rather line up and know where I am than rely on just hitting a button. We feel that this is the most fair way for our families. Other options are online, but that brings into questions the availability of computers for people and speeds of their internet. There is also the lottery system, which a lot of schools in the Lower Mainland do, which leaves parents with absolutely no control. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. So the nose have it, the nose have it. Unlock! British lawmakers rejecting Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal by a huge margin. Today, as you just heard, the House of Commons voting 432 to 202 against the deal struck between Britain's government and the EU in November. That outcome plunging UK politics into crisis without a deal just 10 weeks before the country is due to leave the European Union. Tonight, America's closest ally in chaos. Eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. After the British Parliament overwhelmingly rejected Prime Minister Theresa May's divorce deal with Europe. But I ask members on all sides of the House to listen to the British people who want this issue settled. A political crisis with echoes of the shutdown stalemate in Washington. I have now tabled a motion of no confidence in this government. The public voted to ditch the EU, its largest trading partner, in what's known as Brexit. May has been trying to hammer out the details with a March 29th deadline approaching. Brits are now unsure how or even if they'll leave the EU. But tonight, May insists she's pushing ahead with Brexit. Now to Kenya, where gunmen stormed into a luxury hotel and opened fire today in a siege that lasted for hours. Reports suggest at least 15 people were killed in the suspected terror attack that sent workers fleeing for their lives. Nightmare in Nairobi as gunmen storm a luxury hotel complex. It's popular with Westerners. They've begun a murderous rampage. People running for their lives after one terrorist blew himself up in the lobby. When those guys came in, they just started shooting. They escaped from windows. They hid under anything. Dozens of armed police moving in, unsure who was a terrorist and who were the victims. Guns drawn, hunting floor to floor for these men, the killers seen on hotel security cameras. Everybody was just running everywhere. Yeah, we are going, we are going. Americans were in the area. It's not clear tonight if they're among the victims. The gunmen are Islamists from Al-Shabaab, the same terror group that stormed a Nairobi shopping mall five years ago. Tonight there is a siege and many dead. The Saudi teen granted asylum in Canada after publicizing her plight on Twitter spoke to reporters in Toronto today. Hey everyone. I want to be independent, travel, make my own decisions on education, a career, or who and when I should marry. Rahaf Mohammed thanking the UN Refugee Agency and Canada for sending her to a safe country away from her oppressive family. The 18-year-old says she's dropping her family name 
as she starts her new life here. The worldwide attention that helped her flee also leads to threats from across the globe. Mohammed now has a security guard for 24-hour protection. A shocking scene in Minneapolis. A toddler in a car seat falls out of a moving vehicle. And we want to say right off the bat, the little girl thankfully was uninjured. But take a look at this. Dash cam in a trailing car shows the car door pop open and the child fall out of the moving vehicle. You then see the driver of the car with the dash cam run over to help the little girl and stop traffic. The mother did not immediately notice driving at least a few more blocks before realizing the little girl was not in the back seat. Police say the two-year-old was properly fastened inside the car seat, but not the car itself. It's not clear why the door opened. Police say charges are being considered. The entertainment world is mourning the loss of a legend tonight. This show lifts people's lives. Jerry Herman's music goes up, up, up. Rest in peace, Dolly. Carol Channing, best known for her role as Dolly Levi in the Broadway smash Hello, Dolly, has died. Channing spent over seven decades on stage and screen, delighting audiences with almost 5,000 performances as the original Dolly. She also starred in a series of other shows and films in a career that earned her a Tony Award and a Golden Globe. Channing passed away in California of natural causes. She was 97 years old. In Health Matters tonight, a report from the BC Anesthesiologist Society is shedding new light on the dire situation surrounding surgical wait times. Since 2002, it finds surgical waiting lists have grown faster than the province's population. Linda Aylesworth explains. All right, here we go. Anesthesiologists are an integral part of any surgical team and often the last person a patient speaks to before a procedure begins. The most common concern that they express is the time that they have to wait before they ever get to meet us, before they get to have their surgical procedure. And so the BC Anesthesiologist Society decided to launch a waitlist study using statistics from the government's own surgical patient registry. That registry logs every single patient who's booked for surgery. It logs the time that they're waiting and it logs when, where and what surgery they have done. What they found was that at the end of the last fiscal year, over 85,000 British Columbians were waiting for medically necessary surgical care. To put that into context, that's larger than the entire population of many major cities in the province. And over 40% of those waiting, more than 35,000 British Columbians, were waiting longer than the maximum acceptable wait times. We have patients in particular who are on the wait list and their condition deteriorates, and they wind up in the emergency department then needing emergency surgery. That's one of the reasons why last, uh, last March the Premier launched a new surgical plan to reduce wait times, and we're having some, some early and positive impact. That plan includes a commitment of $175 million over the next two years. There's a significant amount of funding already committed by this government, and yet indications are that wait times overall are actually still increasing. What BC's anesthesiologists want is a say in how the money is spent so it can do as much good as possible. Can we do better? Yes, and that's why we're going to be working with everyone, including uh, the anesthesiologists. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, BC is seen by many as the epicenter of the opioid epidemic, but those who distribute a life-saving antidote say its availability and access don't compare to other provinces. 
Pharmacists handing out Narcan nasal spray to transit users at SkyTrain stations today are in a push for wide access. BC has the highest incidence of opioid overdoses per capita. Yet people living in Ontario and Quebec can pick up a naloxone kit or Narcan spray for free at any pharmacy without showing their health card. It's an important conversation to have uh, at the end of the day, and it's about saving lives. At this point, it is an out-of-pocket expense for the patient, and we're getting a lot of questions of, you know, where can I access this? And, you know, any pharmacy you walk into can, if they don't even carry it on the shelf, can make a special order for you uh, for it. It's absorbed. You can still get a free Narcan so, uh, kit and demonstration on how to use it until 7 o'clock tonight at Stadium Chinatown Station and from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. tomorrow at Surrey Central Station. Ten years ago today, a passenger plane with 155 people on board crashed into New York's Hudson River. The pilot managed to land so softly he saved everyone, including a baby, from an icy and fiery death. Tonight, one of the survivors is recounting the miracle on the Hudson. A lot of memories. This is the first time Jeff Kaloje has returned to the New York City Pier where he was brought after being rescued. I remember just looking back thinking, how did that happen? Ten years ago, he was a passenger on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 when Captain Chesley Sullenberger made an emergency landing on the Hudson River. This was Jeff on that frigid January day. So the left engine just blew. Fire, flames coming out of it. I still think, holy cow. Jeff was headed to North Carolina on a golf trip with friends, family, and his father when the jet hit a flock of geese shortly after taking off from LaGuardia Airport and lost power in both engines. We may end up in the Hudson. Captain Sullenberger glided to an emergency landing in the river. Jeff was in the back of the plane. When he said brace for impact, what went through your mind? I thought we were going to impact the building. I still remember just standing up and the plane had already filled with water. The water was really cold, but I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, uh, like I'm alive. This water feels so good, like I'm alive. Sullenberger was called a hero for saving all 150 passengers and five crew members. Did it change your life? That's a good question. I like to think it did. I mean, what I take from it is the fact that it allowed me to live my life. I've got to raise my boy, have another boy, and spend a lot of time with my wife. Jeff still thinks about it every day. It'll be a memory that's etched in my, uh, etched in my head forever. And a memory that's etched in the history books as the miracle on the Hudson. Kenneth Craig, CBS News, New York. What a great ending. Uh, okay, let's see how the day is ending now uh, as we check the weather forecast. Christy joins us now. I love that shot. It's been up on the monitor over there. You know, I know how we both feel about spiders, but that's a very cool photo. <laughs> I often get these photos in October, not as often in January, but uh, thank you so much to Liam for that shot from Maple Ridge. Yes, uh, some areas were a little bit warmer overnight, and uh, it was more dewy than frosty, and it was a great shot of the uh, spider web there. Thanks very much, Liam. All right, so moving forward and looking at the frosty conditions, Justin, our own director, thanks, Justin, for the photo, showing the frosty conditions, certainly on the grass, a little icy. I had to scrape my windshield this morning, and you will likely have 
have to again tomorrow morning. Less fog, though, so that was better. Uh, fog advisory has been has ended for Metro Vancouver and also for the Sunshine Coast. However, uh, it continues for parts of Vancouver Island, which I'll show you in a second. White Rock hitting double digits today. Warm, but not quite as warm as what we saw yesterday. And there were a few areas near the water that were a little bit cooler. Still some moisture there. Fog advisory in place for the Sunshine Coast. Pardon me. It has ended for the southern Gulf Islands. It's still in place for the Sunshine Coast, east coast of Vancouver Island and inland sections near Port Alberni. Near zero visibility in those areas. It's tough driving and it will be right through the overnight periods into tomorrow morning. We have a change on the way. That ridge of high pressure is going to break down. Most areas dry though tomorrow except for the west coast of Vancouver Island. A slight chance of showers. It's generally into our Thursday that we'll see the moisture push in, rain for the coast and snow for inland regions and yes snow for the mountains as well. Here's a look at your forecast for tomorrow. So still sunny across the north, dry except for a few flurries just light snow, two centimeters for Fort Nelson and Fort St. John. We'll see a fair amount of valley or, or um, valley cloud or fog in through the interior regions. This is a very slight chance of flurries late in the day if that moisture pushes in a little bit earlier. Otherwise, we'll see partly sunny skies across the region. And there is your five-day forecast. Yes, we're in for a change and it means wet weather, everyone. So let's just go back and enjoy that sunshine, shall we? Liam sent me two photos today and they were spectacular. Thanks, Liam. I'll take the blue sky mm -hmm. and the sunshine. Me too. Thank you very much. Okay, here is Squire Barnes now. Mm -hmm. Which what have you been working on today? Good well, stuff. Well, we'll get it. Oh yes. It's all good. It's all good, man. Always. Okay, we're good to go. The Pedersen watch continues for a lot of people in Canuck Nation. Well, without Pedersen, the Canucks offense is not quite the same. Even though they scored five the other night against Florida, two of those were in an empty net, and the other one was after Florida had basically packed up and not cared anymore. Uh, Elias Pedersen is not face down in the ice anymore, as he was in Montreal, but he wasn't at regular practice today with his teammates. Instead, he skated on his own. And because of that, we are still not sure if he'll play tomorrow night against the Edmonton Oilers. He might, but it is up in the air. Uh, he had a good skate today. I think it was about 40 minutes. And uh, he'll skate again tomorrow and hopefully skate with the team tomorrow. I would call him day-to-day -day now. Possible for tomorrow night? I'm not ruling anything out right now. Okay, since Christmas, any shotgunning of beers amongst Canuck fans is a sign of a possible drinking problem and not a celebration because there have been no Jake for Tannen goals to shotgun to. Shotgun Jake's aim has been off in his last nine games no goals, no assists. Offensive inconsistency has been Jake's problem since joining the Vancouver Canucks, but during that same nine-game stretch, he's only a minus two, which shows at least his defensive work has been decent. You know, we've got him in a, in a spot where he's playing against top-end players, top lines, almost, you know, he's playing on the Sutter line and the checking line, and he's not by no means being, been a liability for us defensively. And for me, that's with his skating, that's a real bonus. I know he'd like to score and probably get a few more points, and he's not the only guy in our group. Vertanen chases after the puck. Jake Vertanen hit the outside of the post. Well, he's another example of a young guy today that's having a session with one of our coaches about his game and the and little details in it. And it's funny when those things tighten up, good things usually happen. So, 
Like the golf club and the tennis racket, the hockey stick has undergone plenty of research and development over the years. What once was completely wood became a combination of aluminum shafts and wooden blades to now the one-piece lightweight composite stick. But not only is the wood gone, the creativity the NHL players had to have to get their hockey sticks just right is gone too. It's the one thing hockey players are the most finicky about, their hockey stick. The weight, the feel, flex, length, curve, it all has to be just right. It's like an additional more valuable upper body third appendage. It's definitely comfort and feel. Um, you know, if it feels good in your hand, then you're feeling good on the ice, I find. Um, you know, even the slightest little bit of tape off or, or too much tape, you know, I find, um, or even difference in length, I find it just shows you right off. So it's got to be perfect every time you're on the ice. Well, I've always used the same curve growing up. Uh, it's like a, a sackic, and I haven't changed from it. I've, uh, I've been happy with it. I've, I've tinkled around a little bit with my flex. Until um, this year, I've, I'm down to an 87 flex. And that's really about all the tweaking players do, because nowadays, sticks arrive like a made-to-measure suit, where all that's missing is either the white or black tape. They come in a mold that, uh, that you like. Uh, they've got the flexes, kick points. Uh, Everything's done for you, but uh, back in the day, it was a different story with wood. This used to be the pregame ritual, the now extinct woodworking art of doctoring up your stick. Players were full-time NHLers and part-time craftsmen. The attention to detail could easily go on for a good hour. Wood sticks were, I mean, guys could do anything to them. They'd shave them, they'd curve them. They could totally alter a stick. They could make it exactly how they want. That's the one, boys. Players are always trying to get the upper hand. That means adapting with the times, meaning technology. Case in point, Hall of Famer Brad Park, who was the first NHLer to use an aluminum hockey stick. It's a new invention. It's just coming out this year. Uh, the shaft is alone and the blade is wood, so you get the same feel as you would with a, a wood stick because of the blade. But uh, the aluminum shaft, I find I get a little more spring on, on the puck when I shoot it, and then uh, the puck just jumps off the blade a little bit quicker. Which leads us to the final and one aspect of a stick players to this day continue to differ on, the proper way of taping the blade. I'm heel toe. Yeah, but uh, see, you know what? I think the Euros are uh, big into the toe to heel, yeah. Uh, toe to heel. Only halfway up the blade, so only tape half the blade, but toe to heel. Yeah. Usually off-season stories are about CFL players going to the NFL. Today, Saskatchewan general manager and head coach Chris Jones left the Riders for an assistant coaching job in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. That comes just one week after Jones signed a one-year extension with Saskatchewan. But that deal did have an out clause that said if he got an NFL job, he could go. The Riders didn't expect this, and right now they have no boss. On the flip side, Adam Bighill, of course, came back to the CFL from the New Orleans Saints and signed with Winnipeg. He played so well, he was named the CFL's Defensive Player of the Year. And today he signed a three-year contract with Winnipeg, paying him just over $250,000 a year, which makes him the highest-paid defender in the CFL. Still wish the Lions could have brought him back here, but the situation with the salary cap really wasn't right. Bighill says he loves the Bombers because they're a family-oriented organization. Good first round for the Canadians at the Aussie Open. There you see Jeannie Bouchard is going to get Serena Williams in round two. Milos Ronic will get Stan Warwinka, Shapovalov and Bianca 
Andreescu also into the second round. There you go. All right, thanks. Here's your snow report for today. Another inversion across South Coast Mountains. Grouse and Cypress hit 8 degrees today. Not the 14 they saw yesterday, but still nice and sunny. In Whistler, Blackcomb, Sasquatch as well. Revelstoke, Fernie, Manning Park and Whitewater didn't pick up much new snow, but also nice and sunny today. A little on the cool side though. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks also not much new snow, but that sunshine and a slight inversion meant the mountain tops warmed up to about 0 degrees. Kicking Horse, Mount Washington, no new snow, but Powder King did manage to pick up two. Coming up on ET Canada, meet all the controversial house guests of Celebrity Big Brother, plus surprising new albums from Trisha Yearwood and the Cranberries. All of that's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right, Cheryl, thanks very much. So the tagline for the company has always been the best a man can get, but Gillette is getting both praise and criticism for its latest ad, drawing fire for a Me Too theme that challenges toxic masculinity. Bullying. The Me Too movement again. Tonight, a men's razor commercial without a single shot of razors. Is this the best a man can get? Instead, scene after scene questioning masculinity in the age of Me Too. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. After 30 years, the company Gillette giving a modern twist to the best a man can get, showing viral moments of men confronting bullies. That's not how we treat each other, okay? But now the commercial itself is going viral. Finding support on Twitter, but also criticism, some calling it condescending, patronizing, and utterly tone-deaf. Gillette, the latest big brand to create commercials around social justice campaigns. Nike courting controversy over ads featuring Colin Kaepernick. Pepsi facing backlash from the Black Lives Matter movement for this commercial with Kendall Jenner. In a statement, Gillette saying, It's time we acknowledge that brands like ours play a role in influencing culture. Promising to give $3 million to nonprofits helping men of all ages achieve their personal best. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. A commercial posing a question, tapping into a nationwide debate. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News. What did you think of it? I loved it. Yeah. As a mom bringing up two young boys, mm-hmm. you've got a young boy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a message that I think was um, on point and, and accurate. Yeah. yeah. Some people didn't like that it came from Gillette. They're trying to sell you razors after all. But if the message is true and valid, we should listen to it. I'm okay with it. I think. Fire, what do you think? I uh, honestly haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. You think I would have seen it because of satellite, but I haven't seen it. But the message is good. Yeah. And he uses an electric. I use an electric. (laughs) All right, thanks for watching, folks. See ya.